listening to Coast to Coast Latino. Happy Friday to you. Thank you for joining us at Coast to Coast Latino. My name is Adrian Perez. I am your host. We are brought to you by the Vida de Oro Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to the arts and enhancing the community. We're listening to the music of The Last Bandoleros. The Last Bandoleros is comprised of the Navaida brothers. They are the sons of the late Emilio Navaida, who was a Tejano Conjunto performer for many decades. And the Les Bandoleros were actually founded by Sting. And Sting has taken them with him to some performances, including the halftime show in San Antonio of the NBA All-Star Game about three years ago. So if you get a chance, check them out on iTunes or YouTube, The Last Bandoleros. I want to thank you again for joining us this week on Coast to Coast Latino. We have a lot of uh, news and information. Uh, it's been a busy week, lots of things uh, happening, and uh, we're going to get started with uh, news at the national level. The United States Postal Service Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, who's a Donald Trump appointee, is saying that the USPS is a broken business model. And he also adds that without dramatic change, there is no end in sight and we face an impending liquidity crisis. Now, what's interesting, by the way, is that uh, the moment that uh, Mr. DeJoy was appointed, one of the first things he did was he wiped out any overtime for postal employees. As a result, many postal employees are just not motivated to deliver the mail uh, if it's beyond their uh, eight-hour shift. But uh, this this particular article, according to uh, uh, Reuters News Service, says that uh, the USPS uh, had a quarterly revenue of $17.6 billion, which is up $547 million. Uh, its quarterly net loss shrank uh, by uh, $0.1 billion. It goes on to say that uh, first-class mail has declined 1.1 billion pieces, or equivalent to 8.4%. Uh, its shipping and packaging uh, revenue has increased, uh, which is good. Uh, now, here's the deal. Uh, because of the changes that DeJoy has made at USPS, you know, the uh, Democratic leadership in Congress is saying, look, you got to reverse a lot of the decisions you've made because actually that's what's impacting your inability to meet the demands or the needs of the people. And that includes, uh, according to uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, changes that were made during the middle of a, uh, of a once in a, in a century pandemic 
which is of course threatening the uh, delivery, timely delivery of, of mail, which includes medicines for many seniors, paychecks for those that are unemployed as well as for workers. And now we're also talking about absentee ballots for voters, especially in the last uh, few primaries that uh, we have had, you've seen a dramatic drop in number of, of ballots that are actually delivered to the election centers. And uh, I, you know, oddly enough, all of a sudden we have the president that's also saying that uh, we have uh, uh, the potential for fraud in mail-in ballots. Well, the potential for fraud isn't there. The potential for non-delivery is definitely there. And uh, all we need to do is look at how this thing is being run, and we can safely tell you that, uh, you know, delivery, it, the opportunity for delivery is there, but it's not going to happen as long as we have this effort by the administration's campaign to, uh, to, to demonstrate that mail-in ballots is not a good idea. Now understand it's a strategy, it's an election strategy. Uh, their, their intent is to make sure that those states that are more than likely gonna vote for uh, Joe Biden don't have the potential of actually voting. And that's called voter suppression, which is not only against the law, but it's also very fascist. And it's something that the administration really, really needs to pay attention to because being accused of fascism in the middle of an election is not a good idea, especially if you're trying to get yourself elected or re-elected in Trump's case. And speaking about the election, uh, there's an article in the uh, San Francisco Chronicle that talks about how many Latinos are still not convinced that Joe Biden would necessarily represent uh, the Latino agenda. And let me tell you, the Latino agenda is very critical because when you look at the number of, of kids, that Latino kids that we have across the United States, they represent one quarter of the total number of children out there. Okay, 25%, one quarter of all the kids out there, which tells us that there is in fact that a, a significant need for any White House administration to have a strong Latino agenda. President Trump about three weeks ago signed what's called a uh, Latino-Hispanic uh, uh, economic initiative. The intent was to focus uh, federal government agencies to help out Latino, the Latino community in not only getting their kids educated, and that includes uh, considering uh, putting our kids in private school if public schools aren't, aren't uh, meeting, the, meeting the demand. And, uh, but, it, but it also talks about the importance of increasing entrepreneurship, increasing wages, increasing our status uh, in the United States, economic status in the United States. 
So is Joe Biden interested in something similar to that? And according to Biden's uh, uh, people, uh, he explains, of course, how, how he's worked with the Latino community when he was vice president under Barack Obama. Uh, and he knows that the Latino community is absolutely essential for the future development of the United States of America. And as a result, he did, or put together rather, essentially a, a, a Latino initiative. Um, and his biggest thing is to make sure that Latinos have a fair shot at joining the middle class, uh, which is really good. Now we're talking, okay? But we also need Latinos to move beyond the middle class because if Latinos are gonna be paying the taxes to maintain the economic development of the entire country, we need to make sure that we're earning a lot more than just middle-class wages. To achieve this, we need to make sure that our kids are not only getting a good education at the uh, K through 12 grades, but are also able to get a very good education in colleges and universities. And uh, we're already doing pretty good, by the way. Uh, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but uh, uh, for the first time, Latinos made up 36% of the total number of uh, students that enrolled at the University of California system. Uh, and uh, that is, that's a very impressive number. But we need to do a lot more because, again, if we're going to achieve a certain level of, of status, economic status in this country, we really need all of our, all of our children to obtain the best ed education that we can. And Joe Biden, by the way, doesn't talk about uh, possibly encouraging families to go to private school. He's still talking about public schools, which is expected. Uh, but, you know, when you look at uh, Trump's package, he's pretty much saying, look, you got to go where you got to go. And if private school is offering a better deal for those kids, put them in private school. Biden is also talking about doing immigration reform. Um, the last time we had a president seriously talk about immigration reform, believe it or not, was George W. Bush, where he said, give me a good package and I will send sign it. Back then, and this is in 2007, uh, we had... Uh, the late uh, senator, uh, senators uh, uh, Kennedy and McCain put together a very strong immigration reform package. Uh, it, it, it included pathways to citizenship for many of the uh, what we call now dreamers uh, and Unfortunately, the Democrats killed that immigration package back in 2007. And one of the people 
that led that that uh, that uh, effort to kill it was Joe Biden. Okay, so now Joe is saying, "Hey, we need uh, immigration reform." We had Barack Obama promise the Latino community when he was running for president the first time in 2008. Uh, he was telling us, "Hey, you know what? We need uh, immigration reform and." On my first year in office, I will make that a priority. Many of us have that uh, that speech uh, because we recorded it, and some of us even videotaped it. Unfortunately, he didn't follow through with that, and we ended up with Obamacare over immigration reform. What that what that did is it left so many people in limbo. It was it was unfortunate because uh, approximately two, uh, almost three years into his administration, he begins his great deportation of Latinos across the United States. In total, Obama and, and Biden uh, deported over three million Latinos. Okay, who were here in the United States undocumented. They destroyed tens of thousands of families because one parent or both parents got deported. And if both parents got deported, the kids were left uh, with the uh, with you know with the, the protective services. And as many of you know, protective services uh, does not have a good reputation anywhere in the United States. Uh, so when you look at uh, when you look at immigration reform and Biden saying that this is uh, critical, we really need to hold the guy's feet to the fire if he gets elected, because we really need to see something. Now the potential of both the Senate and uh, the House becoming a Democrat this election year is very, very high, especially when you look at uh, the congressional races that are happening in, in all, so far during, uh, during the primaries. Um, there are four Republican seats that have already been lost to a Democrat, and the numbers are going to keep rising. The potential for the Senate is also very high. In fact, uh, the predictions are that eight new senators are going to come in, and those eight senators are going to be Democrat, tilting the balance of, uh, of the Senate from Republican to Democrat. So if Joe Biden wins, now he has a Congress that's Democrat, and him being a Democrat we're going to need to hold these guys feet to the fire because we need changes. And one of the biggest changes we need is the immigration reform. In my opinion, and it is my opinion, it was a sin. What Obama did to all those dreamers, creating DACA, which is a deferred program. Deferred means it's not permanent and it's up to the sitting president to make a decision what they're going to do with these kids. That was wrong. 
what they should have done is they should have at minimum passed some form of immigration reform that would have led these kids into a path of citizenship. And instead, uh, they denied these kids that opportunity. And now we have, you know, some 800,000 young people with a status that's been left in limbo. Although Trump says he's going to try to do something, he may be saying it just because he's trying to gain the Latino vote. But uh, many of us in many ways are hoping that he, in fact, does something. Uh, we shouldn't wait until 2021 for us to see some kind of action that would really help out all of these kids. In New Jersey, U.S. Representative Albio Cides, a Democrat, is leading praise for Biden's uh, Hispanic Community Investment Plan. He says that he strongly believes that Joe Biden is very committed to the Latino community. And he also believes that the plan confirms that as president, Latinos will gain something from Biden. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit of this, it's a little bit of that. But at the bottom line, we have to see what happens if Joe Biden, in fact, becomes president of the United States. Shifting gears to uh, COVID-19 news, uh, Contagion Live, which is a publication on infectious diseases, is saying that uh, the incidence rates among black and Hispanic children is much higher than in white children, according to a new study that they concluded. According to Monica Goyel, MD, MS, CE, Pediatric Emergency Medicine Specialist and Associate Division Chief at the Division of Emergency Medicine at Children's National in Washington, D.C., said that uh, you're going to find about one in 10 non-white children with COVID, uh, one in three non-Hispanic black children, and get this, one in two Hispanic children. That's very significant. And it tells us that Hispanic children have a 50% chance of getting COVID-19, while white children have uh, one in 10 of getting COVID-19. This leads us to the reason why it's so critical for parents to really reconsider whether their kids should be going back to school or not. The push has been to open up the schools again, let's get the kids back. There is an understandable uh, mental impact that, that not going to school will have on a child. We, we, we get that. But at the same time, if Latino children have a one in, in two, chance of getting COVID-19, we really need to think about whether that child should be back in school or not. We also understand, of course, that economics has a significant impact on, uh, on the fact that many of these children have uh, more exposure to COVID-19, but we also have a, uh, a cultural 
impact that we need to look at as well because having large family get-togethers is a common thing in the Latino community, but it's also the, another reason why many of our community members are getting COVID-19. And, you know, COVID-19 has had such a tremendous impact economically on, on the Latino community. And, but not just COVID-19, here's the inter interesting thing. Uh, although there's a big push to change things in terms of discrimination uh, that was initiated through the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, discrimination appears to continue today uh, throughout the United States and believe it or not, especially in housing. There are indirect consequences of legislation. And those pieces of legislation sometimes make it very difficult to be able to allow uh, Latino first-time homebuyers especially to get a house. And um, in California, for example, it's very difficult to build homes, enough homes to have to be able to uh, sell them at reasonable rates to first-time home buyers, especially Latino first-time home buyers. Uh, with this pandemic, we're seeing a lot of families moving out of the San Francisco, Oakland uh, Bay Area, where they are selling their homes for you know a ridiculous amount of money, and then they're moving into smaller communities. Uh, like Sacramento, like uh, Yuba City, etc., where it's a lot more affordable. And because they're buying up these homes, home values keep going up. And because we can't build enough homes uh, to keep up with the demand, the value of the homes stays up. It stays higher. Uh, now California is pushing hard to rescind what is called the Prop 13 uh, tax revenue, property tax revenue. And by doing that, and by the way, they're disguising it as a tax to help schools. We have passed some kind of a tax to help schools almost every single election year. So before you vote yes on this thing, stop and ask a simple question. What's, go what's going on? How much money do schools actually need? What, you know, how's the money being spent? And why are our kids, Latino kids especially, still the highest number of kids that are dropping out of school and still the largest number of kids who aren't able to read in third grade? That tells me that, that the money perhaps needs to be redirected somewhere. So this, this new proposition, Proposition 5, is an attempt to change Proposition 13 by increasing property taxes, especially among the wealthy. Well, the wealthier people are the ones that also own a lot of homes. Somebody is going to have to pass that new tax on to renters. And if renters begin to... to uh, 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 experience a larger than than normal uh, 
rate increase, they're not going to be able to afford to rent these places, much less purchase them. Okay, but you also have banks, and and that that have gone out of their way to change the rules to make it even more difficult for Latinos to purchase a home. Let me give you a, an example. Uh, in North Carolina, there was a study conducted to see uh, how many mortgage applicants were turned down. And they broke it down by ethnicity. And what they found was that African Americans and Latinos had a disproportionate number of mortgages denied. Okay, and that's according to a database that was uh, that was followed by the company Zillow. And it said that while 9% of white mortgage applicants were turned down, the denial rate for African Americans was 16%. Okay, and Hispanic applicants were 13%. Well, if you're denying these these mortgage rates to African Americans and Latinos strictly because of the color of their skin, then your rules are wrong. Your rules need to be visited. You need to take a look and see why is it that a person's skin color has anything to do with them being able to pay their mortgage. After all, the secret of any business, the success of any business, is not to look at skin color but to look at their wallet color. And if their wallet is green, you're looking at the right color because that means that your business is going to be successful. Now we're now that we're getting closer to uh, September, many of us are starting to look at uh, how uh, Hispanic Heritage Month is going to be impacted uh, during this pandemic. Obviously, we're not going to have the kinds of celebrations that we've had in uh, years past. On September the 15th and 16th, uh, we're not going to see the number of concerts and events uh, at a large scale that are produced uh, this time of the year. But uh, one of the things that, that is relatively exciting that just happened is... Uh, uh, the House of Representatives in Congress passed a bill recognizing the establishment of the American Latino Museum. The museum is being established within the uh, Smithsonian Institute. And for those of you not familiar with the Smithsonian Institute, it is in fact a, a group of museums covering many, many topics, many, many areas. Uh, and uh, if you ever get a chance to go to Washington, D.C., and you go down the uh, Capitol Mall, that's what you're going to visit are all these different museums. And it's just e extremely fascinating and, uh, and, and great for those of us that enjoy going to museums. But the American Latino Museum is, is moving forward. The Senate is expected to, uh, to pass... Uh, the legislation to establish the museum and uh, uh, President Trump is expected to sign the legislation uh, 
especially considering it's an election year and he's still in dire need of uh, of getting Latino support. And this is definitely one way he could get uh, Latino support. Uh, also, one of the other things that, that we're starting to see is the recognitions of Latinos who have made major contributions uh, throughout the United States. And the, although the American Latino Museum will have displays that's, and, and other things uh, covering some of these, not all of them are going to be covered, and we know that. And as it turns out, there is another organization out of California, it's a nonprofit that's been established, called the American Latino Hall of Fame. Now, the American Latino Hall of Fame still doesn't have a home, but uh, but it started to move forward, and then they're starting to do things. Uh, I happen to be on the board of directors of that uh, organization, and let me tell you, we're very excited that we're going to be moving uh, forward. We're going to be recognizing individuals who are making major accomplishments today, as well as those who have done other accomplishments in the uh, in the in the past, and and in the form of a uh, of a hall of fame uh, versus a museum. But. Uh, uh, this this past week, the Orlando Sentinel sports editor, uh, Iliana Limon Romero, was recognized by the National Association of Hispanic Journalists for, believe it or not, sports. Okay. Uh, she was recognized for the work that she's done to improve journalism in, uh, in the industry's coverage of the Latino community. And by the way, there is a tremendous need of Latinos being journalists, becoming journalists. I know some of you have uh, sent me uh, emails regarding your children who are excellent writers. Uh, keep doing that. Have them keep sending me material and I'll be more than happy to give them some level of exposure. In Sacramento, we have uh, Kim Bajorkas from the Sacramento Bee, who's been doing an incredible job covering the Latino community. And that, of course, is my cue to uh, call it a day. Thank you very much for joining me this week on Coast to Coast Latino Podcast. My name is Adrian Perez. Please drop me a line at latino at coasttocoastlatino.com. That's latino at coasttocoastlatino.com. Uh, we will be back with you next week, bringing you more news and information. And hopefully in a, in a couple of weeks, we will be going uh, three times a week providing you all kinds of new information and uh, but until then thank you very much and uh, stay safe preguntándome